I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 16. Here is God's word to us at Faith Community Church today. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. May God honor his word in our hearts today. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we stand before you today, and we stand before this word. Father, we pray that you would cause this word to light a fire in each of our hearts, that this would be a word uh, that comes not from some human mouth, but a word that comes from you, from your heart to our heart. Enable me today to speak the things you've laid on my heart. Enable your people to hear those things and embody them in our life. Father, I pray that today the uh, work and ministry and life of Faith Community Church will grow and increase because of your word being set forth. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I want to just ask, how many of you know who John Havlicek is? Any of you? There's a few of you. Kind of tells your age. When I was a boy, the Boston Celtics were my basketball team, and John Havlicek was the guy, he was not a starter. You know, you have the starters here, Pastor Logan, Pastor Paul, and so forth. But then you have a bench, you know. So uh, Pastor Logan called me on Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, and said, uh, I need somebody from the bench. Can you come? And so I really appreciated the opportunity to be here and to uh, share God's Word with you. This is a great passage of Scripture, and I know that I can't do justice to what's here in the time that we have. I probably couldn't do justice if I had more time. But I want you to hear some things that, that God has really placed on my heart. I've entitled the message, Faith Community Church, the Pillar and Foundation of the Truth. Now, the uh, text that we read today uses the phrase, the pillar and the buttress of the faith. And we'll come to that in a moment, uh, or the buttress of truth, I want to take a moment to just focus on the problem of truth. Truth is having a hard time in our day, whether you've noticed it or not. Now, you may not be you know, familiar with the technical terms of, of perspectivalism and Cartesian foundationalism and uh, uh, deconstruction and postmodernism, uh, those are the fancy terms, but we know what it means when somebody says, well, that's your truth. This is my truth. This is our truth and our own little tribe over here. And what we've seen to have lost is a sense that there is the truth. There is something solid and absolute. And so, for instance, the question today is whether truth exists. Is truth actually existent, and some will say yes, many will say no, others will say we're not sure, but almost everyone will say even if there is truth, we don't know how to get at the truth. We don't know what the truth is, and consequently we're going to kind of shape and form our own truth. That's called a social construct. We'll create our own reality. Now, whether you take that in the philosophical, cultural realm, or whether you bring it down to street level, think about this. What about fake news? How much truth do we get? We've seen recently the Twitter files coming out and 
all kinds of things that we see. They One person said this at one point, now we find they actually said this. And the question becomes, who do you believe? Look at politics. Who do you believe today in politics? No one agrees. The different groups, the different tribes are constantly in conflict in business. What about this huge cryptocurrency thing and and billions of dollars just evaporated and the guy behind it, I just saw, sent out a, a newsletter saying, well, he didn't take any of the money. Well, how do we know what truth is in our culture? That is really up for grabs. Now, throughout Scripture, truth is used a lot of times. In fact, the the New Testament word for truth is the word aletheia. It's used 183 times in, in the New Testament. That corresponds to emmet, which is the Old Testament term, and it has to do with something that is solid. Now, it can be descriptive, it can be an adjective, so we have true belief. It can be an adverb that modifies a verb truly believing something. It can be a substantive, it can be a noun, the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It can be a verb uh, where Paul says, have I become your enemy because I'm truthing you, I'm telling you the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, when we think about the cultural concept, truth, is, is that some kind of coherence to a web or a mosaic? Is truth just what works for you, pragmatism, lots of people operating on that basis today? Is truth a a social contract, just something that you build for yourself? And we as believers say, no, we know some things surely, uh, absolutely about truth, and we want to look at those today. And what I want you to see today, this really is a message about our fellowship, about faith, community, church. And there are two things that I want to address to you this morning, what we are and what we do. It's important to know what we are, and then it's important to know, so what are we supposed to be doing? What does God expect us to do? Not what does the community expect, not what do I expect, what does God expect from us? And so we have the book of of 1 Timothy, and it's important to see the context of this. 1 Timothy is a book that is written by Paul. He is the veteran church planter, the veteran missionary. And and his desire is to come and be with Timothy. Timothy is the young pastor, the young leader. And here's a beautiful picture of mentoring. And so this text actually says Paul's real desire is to be there with Timothy and work through these things to help him understand what is the church and how does the church behave But he says, in case I'm delayed, I'm going to put these things in writing. And so what you have throughout the book of uh, 1 Timothy are six chapters that are filled with information about how the church is to uh, operate, how they are to behave themselves, their deportment, their comportment before God. And so in chapter 1, he talks about false teachers and how we respond to them. In chapter 2, he talks about uh, prayer and worship and the appropriate role for women. Now, that will call for a reaction today in a world that doesn't accept the truth of God's Word, but there it is. And then in chapter 3, you have the qualifications for the elders and the deacons. And then uh, at the very end, this passage comes in where Paul says, you know, I really would rather be with you so we can do this face to face. But in case I'm delayed, I want you to know these things, so I'm going to write these things out in the letter. So that involves everything before. And then in chapter 4, he's going to go on. And he's going to talk about how to counter deception, 
How, how are leaders and people going to model the truth? In chapter 5, he's going to talk about widows, and then he's going to talk about elders, and then he's going to talk about slaves. He's going to give some direction. And then in chapter 6, he's going to finish with uh, the dangers of consumerism, of, of money taking over your life where you don't own stuff, but stuff owns you. Okay? So all of 1 Timothy is direction. Now, I want you to think about this. God directs Paul, uh, the, the uh, seasoned uh, church leader, church planter, to train uh, uh, Timothy. He's, and, and he's going to say in this text, uh, I want you to know. Okay, Paul wants Timothy, wants the leader of the church to know something. What does he want him to know? He wants him to know what is necessary. You remember Pastor Logan talked about this recently. Was it last week in the sermon? It's necessary that I go through Samaria. Same word here. And so when he says, I want you to know what is necessary... We're talking about this not just from a human perspective, but from God's perspective. What does God want faith, community, church to be? And so Paul is going to say to Timothy, I want you to know what is necessary for a person, for one, to conduct themselves as those who are part of the church. Now, let me tell you, when he talks about how conduct yourself in church, when I grew up, it meant you sit down, you be quiet, you pay attention, and don't stick your used gum under the pew. You remember those days? You know, now, I think we ought to change that. Instead of getting kids to sit down, shut up, be quiet, we need to, it ought to be more like a tailgate. We ought to come to celebrate, to stand up, to shout, to praise God. That's what this is about. This is not a time to be beat down. It's a time to magnify and glorify our God for the gracious gift of life that we have in Jesus Christ. But now, Paul is not talking about how to behave when you come into the sanctuary. You understand, this is not the church. This building is a tool... The church is, he's going to describe that in just a moment in this text of Scripture, and he's going to make it clear to us that it's a pretty remarkable thing to be part of this. It's not being in church, it's being part of the body of Christ that he's going to be talking about here. So once we understand the, the, the context of that and see that, I want you to see the two things I want to drive home today. What are we? What did God call us to be? And secondly, what are we supposed to be doing? What does God want us to do? What are the things that, that ought to characterize us? And I love this passage of Scripture because he says, first of all, I want you to know how one ought to behave themselves in the, the house of God. And really, the newer translations put it better, the household of God. He's not talking about a building. He's talking about a household. You remember in the Old Testament, Abraham was told to bring up his children, his household, in such a way that they're going to accomplish the promises made to Abraham. We come to David. You remember in 2 Samuel 7, David said, I want to build God a house. And uh, the prophet said, okay, it sounds like a good idea, go do it. And that night God came to the prophet and said, you go back and tell David, you're going to build me a house? I'm not homeless. I don't need a place to live. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to build you a house, a household. And as he's talking to David, it's really pointing forward to us. David was talking about us. The household of God, when Jesus Christ came, you remember the statement, He is Emmanuel. 
God with us. He comes down, and we think, wow, can't get any better than this. Yes, it can, because He goes away, but what does He do? He sends the Spirit, and you read in Ephesians 2 that believers are joined together to be a holy temple. Think about this. A holy temple in which God lives by His Spirit. Think about this. We're not just a voluntary organization. We're not a club. We're not a country club. What are we? What he says here, we are a living organism that's put together by the Holy Spirit of God. What an amazing thing to be part of that. First Peter talks about the living stones that are put together. That's what we are. So the first thing he says is that we are the household of God. We are a family. And what defines this family is not your ethnicity, it's not your gender, it's not your race. What defines this ethnicity is that you belong in faith to Jesus Christ. And guess what? You don't have any choice. You have to accept me as your brother. You don't get to make that choice. Okay, up, down. No, God's the one that brings us into faith and then brings us together. And so you are here because God has put you here. That has been his work that we are the household of God. But I love what he also says, not just the household of God, but we are the ecclesia, the assembly of the living God. Okay, this is not just a religious group experiment. This is the gathering of the living God. You remember in the Old Testament? You remember Dagon, the Philistine God? And they captured the ark and they brought it and set it in front of Dagon. What happened the next morning when they came in? Dagon has fallen over. And what do they do? Well, you do what you do with any God. You pick them back up and stand them up. Now, how many of you want a God you have to help them get up off the floor? Well, they stand them up, and then they come in the next day, and what happens? He's fallen over, but his head, hands and his head or feet, I can't remember, it's broken apart. So I guess they glued it back together and stood them up again. I don't know, it doesn't tell us that part. But friends, that's not the kind of God we have. We don't need to help our God stand up. We don't need to supply things that he needs. I think of Pharaoh. You remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God said, we need to go worship. And he said, and I, I bet he regrets ever saying this, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Ten plagues later, he didn't have to ask that question, why? Because all of those plagues were judgments of the living God bringing against that dead uh, God, all of the gods of Egypt, no contest. The living God. You remember Hezekiah? And the problem they had with uh, Sennacherib, his army, and the commander coming in and mocking him and saying, listen, we've crushed everyone uh, that's around us. We're going to crush you too. And what did Hezekiah do? Got down on his knees and he prayed and said, he's right. Nobody can stand against them. I don't know what we're going to do. And he, he actually laid out the prayer before God. It's written in uh, the Isaiah 38, 39, somewhere in there. And then Isaiah comes to him and says, not to worry. There's a living God on the throne. And you remember what happened? The next morning they go up 185,000 Assyrians dead. Must have been COVID. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what it was. But my friend, listen, this is the ecclesia of the living God. We are weak and miserable. I've often said this, you're a mess, and I'm a mess. We're all a mess. We're all weak. But guess what? 
Our strength doesn't come from within. We have a living God. This is the assembly of the living God, the family that belongs to God. But listen to the third phrase. I love this. The pillar and the foundation of the faith, of the truth. Now, I'm not sure if Paul is using a building analogy here or a nautical analogy. It might be either one. If it's nautical, it's about the, the bulwark, the, the main substance, and then the mass that's up, the pillar. And what do they do? They support the sail. So the wind can take the sail and move the boat. I think more probably, given the fact that he's talking about the household, I think he's probably talking about a building. And in this building, we have a foundation. And then we have pillars. You see the pillars on each side of this that are holding this up? What do pillars do? What does a foundation do? It supports the roof, or it supports other uh, levels of building on top of it. You go to one of our great cities, and you'll see buildings with 30, 40, 50, 100 uh, floors on top of that. And so what he's saying is the church is the, the support for the truth. Now, we have to ask the question, what does he mean by that? What does it mean that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth? Well, the Roman Catholic Church uh, maintains that they are the source of truth. Uh, the magisterium decides what's true, and they tell you what it means. But in this passage, that's not what he's talking about. Faith community church does not generate truth. We are not the, the uh, uh, authorized purveyors and interpreters of that. It must mean something else. How is it that the church is going to support the truth? Now, we have to ask the question, of course, well, what is the truth? We're going to come to that in just a moment. But I want you to feel the sincerity, the importance, the, the, the power of that. In what way do we as a congregation support the truth? Now, you say, what is the truth? Is it the adjective? Is it the adverb? Is it the noun? Is it the, uh, 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 is the verbal form? Well, no, in this passage, we know exactly what he means. Because, you know, as he goes on to say, uh, the pillar and buttress of the truth, great in need, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, in, in language, that phrase is in apposition to the truth, which means it's explaining that. So if I say to you, the horse is in the barn, the big red building over there, the big red building over there is in apposition to barn, they're connected together. That's exactly what we have here. Pillar and ground of truth, what's truth? Well, it's this mystery of godliness. Well, that sounds like, ooh, you know, uh, there's some stranger, right? But it isn't some kind of deep mystery that's hidden from everyone. What is this mystery? And I want you to see this. I love this so much the way he says it. What is it? It's about the whole redemptive work of Jesus Christ, the Christ event. He doesn't use Christ's name, but it's obvious. What is this truth that we support? The incarnation of Christ. He appeared in the flesh. Pastor Logan's gone over that carefully in the Gospel of John. Uh, uh, he took on flesh. He came and moved into our neighborhood. What else does it say? Vindicated by the Spirit. That's the resurrection and everything that's accomplished. But not only that, he is seen by angels. Not sure exactly what it means, but I suspect it might be the angels administered to him following the temptation. And then he says, proclaimed among the nations. 
What's the book of Acts about? What are we involved with, with missions? And then he says, believed on in the world, those who come to faith in him, and taken up into glory, that's ascension. Now, friends, do you see this? What he's talking about here is not simply uh, 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 some idea, some concept that we agree with. What he's talking about here is the whole redemptive work of Christ. That what God did is he created a stage on this world, and on this stage, centerpiece in all of this drama for thousands of years through the Old Testament is the incarnation of the Son of God. His death, burial, his resurrection, his ascension into glory, his session, and his coming again. I want you to see the truth isn't some, it isn't some static idea or concept, but it's dynamic. It's dramatic. It's theatrical. What do we do when we come to worship every Sunday morning? We celebrate what God did in Jesus Christ. That God became a man. He took human flesh. He took our sin and our sin and, and, and took it and, and, on himself and bore away our sin. Now, you see the challenge here that's before us? How actually do we support that truth? what God has done in this great redemptive event. Well, let me tell you this. As I think about this and I think about uh, the truth that is set before us, what do we do with this? First of all, we need to know this. You need to know about this. You need to know about the birth of Christ. You need to know about his life. You need to know about his suffering. You need to know about his death. You need to know about his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his session, his parousia, his coming again. It's something that we need to know. That ought to shape who we are. We can't get away from it. That is the center of who we are at Faith Community Church. We are people that confess and believe that God became man and doing that redeemed us. Not only do we need to know that, we need to believe that. It needs to be something that grabs hold of our heart. It's not just something we check off of one of the things that we believe on a statement of faith. No, it's expressed through our heart. But that's not all. We need to love that truth. I love the way First Thessalonians says their judgment comes. You know why? Not because they didn't know the truth, not because they didn't believe the truth, but because they didn't love the truth. Now, friends, what is there not to love about this? About God becoming a man, taking our place, uh, defeating Satan, destroying the things that are there. We need to love it. We need to know it. We need to believe it. We need to love it. We need to understand this and integrate it in our life. What does all of this mean? Why do we care that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, the Bible's going to tell us what that means. That gives us hope. We need to understand it, but we're not done yet then we need to embody that. It needs to shape the way we live our lives. That's what's necessary. That's what God expects from Faith Community Church, not just to say verbally, we believe Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. You know, you, you've seen the, the, the fish, you know, the, the sign uh, that they use to identify Christians. Now, you know what that was? The Greek word for fish is ichthus. That's the word for fish. And it was an acrostic. Jesus, Christos, Thetos, Huios, Soter. Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. It was their way of publicly confessing their faith. We need to not only know it, we not only need to believe it, we need to confess it. 
We live in a world that's beating Christians down where we feel like we have to run and hide. Friends, we have no reason to hide. We have a reason to stand up and confess. In fact, that's the very word that he uses. Great is the mystery of godliness that we confess. That's homologeo, that we say together. We say these things together. The time has come. We need to stop being fearful. We need to stop being silent. We need to stop being intimidated and realize, man, God put us here for a reason. Now, I want to point out two sides of this. If we are going to behave ourselves the way God wants us to, then we need leaders, we need elders who are going to shape and equip us so that we can do that. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to know what it's necessary for those who belong to the church. And so God has placed in our fellowship elders, leaders. If you were here yesterday, you would have heard Pastor Kevin uh, do a wonderful presentation showing us how we ought to pray. Not only should we pray, but giving us directions about how to do that. If you hear a couple of weeks ago, you heard uh, Pastor Paul talk about how we should use our time, you know, to not uh, lose the sense of that and to make every effort to, to redeem that for the glory of God. If you've been listening to Pastor Logan, last year he went through the book of Ephesians. You know, now he's going through the Gospel of John that shapes who God is. We have different means and mechanisms to shape those people, and so we are blessed to have pastors, have elders, who are going to be involved in this process. And, gentlemen, you got a big job ahead of you. you got a bunch of folks that are really slow learners. You know, uh, those that are stubborn and hard to change. And so God is saying that he put these men here to disciple us, to equip us, to correct us. Any amens there? We don't like to be corrected, right? But if they're going to be godly, they're going to do that. Rebuke us. You, you have all of these things in Scripture that it says that they are to do. If we're going to have families that honor God, if we're going to have workers that are going to bring glory to God by the integrity of the work that they do, if we're going to uh, 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 live with financial integrity, we need this ministry of, of gifted leaders who can shape and equip and train and prepare us for the challenges that are there. Now, friend, let me tell you, what makes it so difficult is that it's not just, that's not the only part to get past the, the, the stubbornness and, and the, all the stuff that go on with trying to shape people in the church. We have another problem, and that's where I read the Colossians chapter 1. There is an evil one, Satan himself that has been engaged in incredible spiritual warfare. And his goal is to stop you, to silence you. Pastor Logan spoke about this when he went through the passage in Ephesians chapter 6. But I, I want to take a few moments to focus on this, because I think this may be one of our weaker parts. You remember the statement in First Chronicles, Chronicles 12.32, where it talked about the men of Issachar, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we don't eat only need to know God's Word, diachronically, synchronically, reading across it, reading along it, digesting it, implementing it, integrating it into our life. We don't only need to know that. We need to know the world we live in and what we're facing. And when you begin to think about that today, the spiritual warfare, you remember in uh, the Lord's Prayer where uh, he, uh, the disciples said, teach us how to pray, and he said, well, pray like this, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have some obligation about what's happening on this earth to give witness to the truth. That's how we support. That's how we uh, 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 strengthen the truth of what Christ has done. And we're living in a day that we need to contend. You remember Jude said, I wanted to write a, a, an epistle about our common faith, but I instead had to write to you to contend for the faith. Contention only exists when there is opposition. You're all familiar with the term protest, Protestantism. And I bet if I gave you a sheet of paper, everyone would say a protest is fighting against something. That's not what the word means. Testifying is speaking. Pro is speaking for something. The Protestant Reformation was not a reaction to something. It was an affirmation of something. Here are some things that we believe. And we're going to assert these in the face of what's wrong. And Colossians uh, 2 says that don't let anybody take you captive by these philosophies and the stuff that's going on. We can't begin to talk about that. I want to mention just a few things to, 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 to bring you up to speed with what we're wrestling with. I believe that God has called us as a congregation in order to do what we should to contend, to resist. You know, Faith Community Church has a school called Faith Christian Academy. Why does that exist? Because you have some people who like education, I like teaching kids. No, you know why it exists? To resist the educational mores and the ideology that is Marxist at core. I just read the book by James Lindsay entitled The Marxification of Education. You ought to read that. It will make, if you have any hair left, some of you have some. If you have any left, it'll make it stand up. I don't know what it does to Dave Weimar and myself and a few others like us. But anyhow, it is sobering to think about that, friends. What's happening from kindergarten all the way through colleges? Kindergarten students are being taught there are 30 gender options that you can choose. What do you want to be? I mean, it was a lot easier when I was in school, you were a boy or a girl. Now we have all of these terms, you don't even know what they are. It's a perversion of that, that we need to speak against, that we need to resist. And yes, I'm going to say, there's a time for rage. You know, there were times that Jesus was enraged when he went into the temple. And I'm not talking about just blowing your stack because you were humiliated or you lost in a chess game to your friend. By the way, don't ever play Tim Rubigern chess, okay? Let me just warn you, stay away from him. Uh, that's not what it's about. It's about the reality, the truth, the fact that that. God has given a structure. There are things that are right and wrong. And gender is not an endless option of choices. It's what God made us to be. The consumerism that's all around us today, that we live for the stuff, all of the advertisement that we just suck in. Every time an, uh, uh, an advertisement comes off on the TV, turn it off. Better yet, turn off the TV and read a book. Don't even watch it to begin with. You'd be a whole lot better off. But we're constantly being drawn into this where life revolves around what we are, what we have. I grew up in the 60s with the rock and roll, the hippies, the sexual revolution. Man, they were just getting started. Nobody would have imagined the whole transgender, the whole uh, uh, feminist critique and all the rest of that. We are struggling against that. Every person here is facing that in one way or another. You have a friend, you know a family, you know somebody where that's going on. The whole woke nonsense. In fact, I'll tell you one of the reasons that we are here at Faith Community Church was because when the COVID thing was going on, this church resisted the overreach of government. 
this church put on a series of critical race theory exposing what it was so that you were aware of that. How many of you in your offices are exposed to diversity and equity and uh, uh, inclusion? What do those things mean? I don't have time to read it, but I brought a sheet by James Lindsay. It's called Responding to Social Justice Rhetoric. And it tells you this is what they say, social justice, but here's what they mean. Critical race theory, this is what they say, but here's what it means. Equity, here's what they say, but this is what it really means. And friends, listen, we live in a world of filled with doublespeak. We need to be alert to that. We need to understand that equity does not have to do with fairness and equality, but it has to do with this criticism and this uh, destruction of Western civilization. That is all around us. The media, uh, schools, sports, every area of our culture today is undermining the truth that we hold dear in Jesus Christ, that we are supposed to support. And one of the great challenges that are before us is how do we, in this day and age, how, dads, how do you protect your children from the social media? How do you protect your children from the educational waves and ideology that's coming to subvert what you believe? How do you develop them? And, you know, parents are gatekeepers. You know, you're the ones that close the gates to keep stuff out and open the gate to let good stuff in. And Faith Community Church, we need to be encouraged and equipped to know what to let in and what to keep out. How many of you have heard of ESG and sustainability? You know, it's, it's everywhere. Is it good or is it bad? We need to understand what that is and know how do we give witness to Christ in the midst of all of this. If we're going to be the pillar and the foundation or the buttress of the truth, it means not only is there a positive side to this, of things that we need to develop and, and equip and be shaped for. But it means that we have to be willing to resist. And friends, let me tell you, it is hard to resist on a permanent basis. And in, in the 50s and 60s, when I grew up, the culture was pretty friendly to Christian families and to the Christian church. You understand, you're no friend to our culture today. You're seen as a terrorist. You know why you're a terrorist? Because you've taken away their freedom to express themselves any way they want sexually. And really the battle is with a God who has some absolute truths of what's right and wrong. And, and once those are imposed, it becomes coercive and we're seen as being evil people. Well, friends, listen, God's given us a wonderful opportunity to grow in grace and to grow to maturity in Christ and to graciously resist all of the pressures, the subtle pressures in our culture that are out to silence the message. We want to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't want to be silenced with the, the resistance that's there and the subversion that's there. I, I want to conclude this morning in, in trying to frame this and, and then to make the transition. We're going to observe the Lord's table this morning. And the Lord's table is when the church gathers together for the purpose of affirming the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that by taking the cup and the bread. Have you ever thought about that amazing thing? We actually are ingesting the, the, the cup and the bread, and in doing so, we are focused on the reality of Christ's presence in our midst. As we think about that, I want you to understand how 
God uses Scripture, how God uses the leaders that He's put in our fellowship to bring us to that point. We have to learn to play the role that God assigned us. Remember, you didn't sign up for that. You didn't choose God. God chose you, and He put you in that position. And you can't play your part well without knowing the content of God's Word. Well, that brings me to a little commercial here, okay? Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a Sunday morning class, an adult class, on the storyline of the Bible. I hope you'll come and join us for that. We're going to take 12 weeks and we're going to walk through what is the message of the Bible. Now, many people love the story of Esther or the three Hebrew children, and they got a favorite psalm they go to. But so many don't know what is the storyline. What's this all about? How is it that Christ is at the center of this? I'd love you to, to come and be part of it. I think that will help us understand how do we understand and read the Bible so that we're going to embody that in a realistic and an honorable way. Well, we can't play our parts well without knowing how God's Word directs us. And they become uh, really teaching opportunities for us uh, to uh, embody and, and to live out the things that we've learned. Let me suggest four or five things as we conclude that we'll try to pull all of this together. What I'm encouraging us as a church and what our leaders are endeavoring to do, our elders and the, the, the responsibilities they've given to understand the drama, understand what God has done, the incarnation of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the preaching of Christ, you know, the ascension of Christ. That's what it's all about. Understand that. You know, the Bible is the only authentic account, the only authorized account that tells what God has been doing. Now, listen, God's main purpose wasn't writing a book. God's main purpose was to send His Son that Jesus Christ would be glorified and so open the door to God's blessing in our life. And so we need to understand that so that we can bring Jesus Christ to a world that's alienated by sin. They are as lost as a ball in high weeds. They are clueless. They don't understand. We have that truth. And you need to join the drama team. You know, the fact is, uh, I don't care how talented you are, nobody can play Romeo and Juliet. You've got to have a whole cast, right? And so what's God done at Faith Community? He's assembled a whole cast of men and women and young people and children, and you need to become part of this and committed to the gospel to become a disciple and realize there's some things that we can only do together. It takes a sense of unity. And not only, you know, join the team, but get on stage. Play your part. You know, carry out the role that God assigned to you. If you're a husband, if you're a, a, a worker, if you're a teacher, if you're a, a, a mother with small children, whatever that role is, do it. Manifest the glory of God by following through on the things that He's directed you to do. And friends, I want you to think about, this is not just about what happens in here. Our job is to take this truth out to our community, to love them and to serve them in order to share the shalom that we have from Jesus Christ, from the power of the gospel. We are agents of peace. We're peacemakers. Our goal is not to go out there and fight them on everything and antagonize them. There's some things we must resist, but our goal is to love them and show them the love of God in Jesus Christ. And you know what else we need to do? We need to enlist some new players. There shouldn't be a single seat that is open every Sunday morning at Faith Community Church. We need to fill this with people that are now in opposition. They hate God. They hate His truth. But what happened? God changed you. If he changed you, he can change others. Our task is to evangelize, to carry this gospel 
to the world that's dark. Now, God didn't give us this drama just for our personal benefit. He gave us that to be played out by the churches. And Faith Community Church is a pillar and a ground of the truth. And we support that by giving credible witness to the mystery of godliness. What's the mystery of godliness? Jesus Christ was incarnate. Jesus Christ died and was raised. Jesus Christ ascended back into heaven. Jesus Christ, it doesn't say this in that passage, but we know from other, he's seated as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's coming back, and there's going to be a big powwow then. And his glory is going to shine in a way that we're longing for. Imagine, God has called us to be part of that. And the future of truth in this community is tied to the effective embodiment in the life and ministry of Faith Community Church. Think about this, friends. The household of God. The assembly of the living God. The pillar and the foundation of the truth. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you today. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us today to take seriously, to embody, to understand, to live out the truth that's set out. Lord, how can we begin to appreciate fully what it means that we are the household of God? Help us to understand what it means that we're the assembly of the living God. Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts. I don't know what the needs are today in each person, but I pray as we come to the Lord's table, if there are areas where we have neglected to accept the training and the discipleship and the ministry that's been offered, uh, Lord, I pray for our leaders that you would encourage them to look at the opportunities they have and strengthen their hand as they do that. Father, I pray that if it's areas of, of resistance and contending with a world that's gone mad, that you would enable us to do that for the glory of your name. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that... Uh, Unless you had shown mercy to us, we would be out there in the mad world celebrating all the nonsense that's going on today. Father, it's only by your grace that we're not part of the drag queen story in the libraries and the schools. So, Lord, I pray that you would enable us today as a congregation to recognize what you called us to be. And now we'll do what you expect us to do. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.